all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 37, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. It is going to be a much shorter show today, as you can probably tell by the runtime of wherever you are watching or listening this episode of the podcast. And that's for a couple of reasons. The first and foremost being that I had my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday. And apart from a sore arm, I have been dealing with probably a small fever, a little bit of a headache, some tiredness, some drowsiness, some weakness. Um, I, I had a fever last night, I believe a very, very small one. So, you know, I went to bed, I slept it off, I woke up in a pool of sweat. So it's like, oh yeah, probably had a little bit of a fever. You could probably tell by my appearance if you're watching this on YouTube. I definitely do not look the best today. <laughs> Admittedly so. I probably don't look the best. I probably look sweaty and gross. But... I did want to put out an episode today. I wanted to use the energy that I had remaining in my system today to put out some content, make an episode, talk about some of the specific small things that I have wanted to talk about over the course of the week. And that's the other thing that has been kind of withholding me from making an episode is I have not felt like there's been a lot of good news to talk about this week. When the leading story on ESPN a couple of days ago was the fact that Anthony Edwards doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is. It's not exactly like that's the crown jewel of sports topics to talk about. And a philosophy that I've adopted with this show over the first four months of the show's existence is if you don't have something to say or if there's nothing that you want to talk about, you should try and not force it. Because not only is your take going to be bad if you force it, but it's also going to be probably not that interesting if you're having to find things to talk about and force yourself to talk about them. So that's kind of the philosophy that I have adopted over the past couple weeks. You know you've heard it as a kid. If you don't have something to say, don't say it at all. That's kind of what uh, I'm feeling more or less. So I'm going to use the remaining energy that I have in my system to try and drum up about 20 to 30 minutes of a show and talk about some select few things for you today. Again, I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. I'm not feeling that great because of the Pfizer shot, but we are going to get into the show today and just go with it and go straight on into it. I want to talk about Julian Edelman. Uh, first and foremost, to start off the show. And it's not going to be necessarily a positive thing, and it's not directed at Julian Edelman. I've got a bone to pick with the sports media at large. I've got a bone to pick, and it's something that's kind of been ticking me off recently, especially when it comes to the NFL. I am getting really tired of this Hall of Fame or bust mentality. Uh, Julian Edelman retired earlier in the week. His stats to end his career, 137 games, 620 receptions, 6,822 yards, 36 touchdowns, averaged 11 yards per reception, 66% catch percentage. He had a fantastic career, and he had a fantastic story of a career. Drafted as a quarterback in the seventh round by the Jaguars, was traded to the Patriots, then became a punt returner, then became Tom Brady's favorite clutch time weapon, and he had himself a fantastic career, and one that should be celebrated moving forward. A great story, a great person, a great competitor, and that's how we should remember Julian Edelman moving forward. But what has ticked me off and kind of irritated me is that as soon as Julian Edelman retired, we don't focus on the story as much. We don't focus on who he is as a person, what he has fought through to become the player that he was. Instead, it's an instant conversation on whether or not Julian Edelman belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I don't think that's fair to him, and I don't think that's fair to any other 
player that is retiring has retired recently that could be potentially in the Hall of Fame. Now, this isn't a question of whether or not he does belong in the Hall of Fame, because if you ask me today, I would say, yes, he probably does belong in the Hall of Fame to some extent. He's not going to be a first ballot. Hell, he's probably not going to be a second, third, fourth, or fifth ballot Hall of Famer. He's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame maybe 15 to 20 years from now in a point where the voting system or the, the football elite, whoever... <laughs> Whoever knocks on the door to get this person into the Hall of Fame, I feel like Julian Edelman will make it there one day for his fantastic story. But what has irritated me is the fact that as soon as this man retired, questions start popping up on every single major sports show, sports network, does or does Julian Edelman belong in the Hall of Fame? And the majority answer has been no. And I'm saying, why are we doing this? Why are we holding this conversation? Now, I understand that it's the nature of all sports to compare people to one another. Hell, that's what the Hall of Fame is. It's comparing this person to a whole entire group of people and saying this person is better. He belongs in the elite class of Hall of Fame players. This is the celebration of the league. This person belongs in that conversation. This person belongs in that group of people. So it's not necessarily the fact that people are comparing Julian Edelman to everybody else. It's the fact that they're doing it right as the career ends. And it's a very recent mentality around, you know, fandom of the NFL and especially in sports media. It feels like there is such a Hall of Fame or bust society. And it's kind of ticking me off because where we should be celebrating Julian Edelman for his accomplishments on the football field. Granted, yeah, no Pro Bowls, but his resume throughout his career and what he was able to do in New England as a person who has had to fight and claw his way into the position that he was throughout his career, why we are choosing to talk about why he isn't a Hall of Famer as opposed to the things that he was able to accomplish as this person, as this player, is what kind of ticks me off. Because people, you know, will remember the catch that David Tyree made against the Patriots in the Super Bowl in 2009, right? David Tyree isn't a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I feel like people are kind of gravitating towards that conversation with Julian Edelman as well. Is that everybody's going to remember the trick play against the Ravens or going to remember the catch that he made in the Super Bowl. But they're immediately already writing Julian Edelman off as a non-Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I just don't think that's fair to him or to anybody else because the conversation comes, well, if Julian Edelman belongs in the Hall of Fame, then Heinz Ward and Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson, all of those people deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make, and I'm kind of just rambling at this point about why it irritates me, is it just puts too much... It puts too much emphasis on the herding mentality that is the Hall of Fame. You know, if you're working on a farm and you have two separate, two separate, you know, clumps of cows, right? There's the cow that gets that's that's in the advanced plains. You know, they get the extra good grass. They're they're recognized as being these these really elite cows. I guess they they get all the benefits. They get all the recognition. That's your money making cow right there. And then there's the bigger group of cows that's on the other side of the farm where there are some really good cows, but the extra stuff that you need to get into that other group is uh, what separates. And I think recently we're putting too much emphasis on the division between those two groups of cows and putting too much emphasis on saying, well, this person does belong or this person doesn't belong. That's not up for us to decide. And again, I recognize that this is the NFL 
part of the fun in, in, in realizing and analyzing players' career is the comparison that we can make and the conversation that we can have between one player and another. I just think it's very unfair that we are so quick to immediately say, that person isn't a Hall of Famer, instead of saying, wow, let's look at this guy's career. Let's look at this guy's career and see everything that he's done as a New England Patriot, as a football player, and as a man, what he's done for, you know, you know, his, him and his family and um, those he cares about outside of football. I guess that's the end of the, uh, the, end of my rant. I just, I, I, I was really ticked off to see all of these major networks, ESPN, Fox Sports, saying, oh, you know, he's retired. He's not a Hall of Famer, though. He's not good enough to be a Hall of Famer. Like, why are we degrading? Why are we already beginning to, like, degrade the value of somebody's career like that? I just feel like it throws these players under the bus because it forces us to join the conversation and make a decision right away as to whether or not he is to be a Hall of Famer when the reality is is that this decision is not going to be made until like five or six years, maybe even further than that, into the future. It, it, it forces us to throw players under the bus, answer the question early as to whether or not he is a Hall of Famer instead of taking a look at this person's career in the grand scheme of things, the big picture, and say, wow, this was a fantastic career. Julian Edelman was a fantastic football player, and we should celebrate his career instead of trying to throw him into one of the two herds, Hall of Famer or not Hall of Famer. I guess that's really all that's inspired the rant to start off the show, and I know that I started off the show saying I'm going to try and put the remaining energy that I have in my system from feeling so weak with the COVID vaccine. I'm going to try and throw all my energy into the show, and I feel like I've already exasperated all of it, uh, but let me know what you think. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer in the sense that, well, he could be in like 15 to 20 years from now? Do you think that there's a hurting mentality in terms of who can and cannot be in the Hall of Fame? Are we asking these questions too soon? Should we be asking these questions at all? Is this because this isn't really up for us to decide? So let me know what you think in the comment section below. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is about that time. The NFL Draft is two weeks away. It is time for me to throw my hat into the ring and predict the entire first round of the NFL Draft. Get out the first edition of the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast Mock Draft for the 2021 NFL Draft. I've been very hesitant about releasing a mock draft just because I feel like this NFL Draft in particular is so volatile. I feel like there are so many things that could happen with this draft. Teams trading up, down, backwards, sideways, diagonally. There's a lot that could happen, and I wanted to do some extra research, take some extra time to pencil in some names that I felt very good about, and I think that this is going to be a very good mock draft. Is it going to be the best? That is up for interpretation or for you to decide. I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm not that egotistical and I'm not that clairvoyant, but I do have some pretty good guesses and you guys are going to figure out a lot about my drafting philosophy and how I tend to draft and how I tend to do mock drafts uh, when it comes to the NFL. And we're going to be covering every single pick in the first round. We're going to be covering the first 16 selections today. Going to be covering the second batch of 16 selections at another point, probably early next week when I can get over uh, this vaccine shot that I'm going through right now. Again, uh, not feeling the best, feeling sweat, sweaty, hot, uh, a little bit weak, got a bit of a headache. So we're going to plow through these first 16 selections so I can go ahead and get some rest. But... 
If you guys have your mock drafts, let's compare, let's contrast, let's see where we agree, where we don't agree. This is, again, version 1.0 of the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast mock draft for the 2021 NFL Draft, including trades, including a whole bunch of other things. I don't know if I'm going to make a separate version. If something happens, we'll see. But let's not delay it any further. Let's go ahead and get into it with the number one selection in the 2020 NFL Draft. That being Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, I'm pretty sure everybody's mock draft has this picked, locked in, penciled in, and there has been some mumblings, maybe it's just for media hype's sake, that hey, maybe Zach Wilson can overtake Trevor Lawrence as the number one quarterback selected in the draft, and I just don't think that's reasonable. Look, Urban Meyer wouldn't have taken the job in Jacksonville if he didn't have the opportunity to work with a generational quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. I've said it before, Urban Meyer is the ultimate NFL opportunist, and I don't think that he would have taken that job in Jacksonville if Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to be the quarterback in Jacksonville moving forward. So I'm very confident about that pick. Jaguars taking uh, Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. The Jets will then take Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU, at number two. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I think he is definitely the second best quarterback in this draft class of quarterbacks. He's got some great uh, awareness around him. He's got some great arm strength. I think he's going to easily adapt to the NFL, this, this kind of shift to having some more mobile quarterbacks. I think that he's going to fit right in. It's really up to the Jets at number two to have this new management to have this new um, regime with Robert Sala and everybody that he's bringing in. It is up to that regime to be able to make Zach Wilson work. Otherwise, the Jets are just going to continue to Jets it up and they will continue to be mediocre. I think, you know, Zach Wilson has the potential to be the best pro out of the bunch a couple of years down the road. But again, being drafted to the Jets, much like being drafted to the Jaguars at number one is a little bit of a testy situation. You it's it's not always been a good destination for quarterbacks again, uh, but Zach Wilson going to the Jets at number two. 49ers, number three, are going to be drafting Justin Fields. There has been a lot of talk about who the, the 49ers are going to be taking in this number three draft slot. I've talked about it extensively in a couple of videos. A lot of people think it's Mac Jones. I think that would be a ginormous oversight and, it's, and a tremendous uh, a tremendous, rather, waste of draft capital to be able to trade up to number three to get Mac Jones, who just does not seem to fit Kyle Shanahan's system. Trey Lance and Justin Fields would be much better picks in Kyle Shanahan's system. Kyle Shanahan has worked with more mobile quarterbacks. Mac Jones is too much of a pucker passer for my liking. It's not that I don't like Mac Jones. And again, I've made the important distinction of saying that I do like Mac Jones. I like Mac Jones quite a lot, actually. But he's just not the best fit in... San Francisco, I think that Justin Fields is probably the best fit in San Francisco. The 49ers will take Justin Fields with the number three overall pick quarterback out of the Ohio State University. Moving on to the Falcons at number four, and this is where it starts to get spicy. This is where the mock drafts will tend to differentiate. This is where we're going to get into trade territory, whether teams are moving up, whether they're moving down, yada, yada. The Falcons at number four will be drafting Kyle Pitts. Look, I think Kyle Pitts, who was originally before Sam Darnold was traded, had some dra uh, mock drafts having him go as early as number two to the Jets. Kyle Pitts potentially has been, has the potential to be one of the best draft prospects in the last three or four years. He's definitely probably the best overall prospect in this year's draft, apart from Trevor Lawrence. He's got wide receiver speed in a tight end's body. He's like, he's like if LeBron James ended up playing football as a tight end. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Kyle Pitts isn't that tall, but he's a extremely interesting and versatile talent coming out of University of Florida. I think the Falcons 
who originally I thought might be silently, you know, leading up to take a quarterback. I think the opportunity that Pitts presents is too great to pass up. Matt Ryan is not that old. He's not as old as I thought he was. I thought he was venturing on 37, 38, but he's only 35. And granted, his contract is massive. But if the Falcons are really going to try and not blow up the farm just yet and still try to make some concerted efforts to make the playoffs, I think Kyle Pitts at number four is a great addition to the the uh, Falcons offense. Imagine an offense with Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley, and then Kyle Pitts. That's a lot of matchup nightmares and what could be a really strong season for the Falcons if they play their cards right. They did have a little bit of an interesting cap situation, so they weren't able to spend in free agency. I still think Kyle Pitts is probably the best offensive prospect in the draft apart from Trevor Lawrence. Moving on to number five with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals will draft Panay Sewell at the number five overall slot. Look, they need protection for Joe Burrow. They need protection for Joe Burrow, and they need protection for Joe Burrow. If you haven't gotten the memo, they need to take an offensive lineman. Panay is a generational talent at tackle. He originally could have gone as high as number two before all these teams fluctuated to the front of the line for a quarterback. Panay will fall to the Bengals at number five, and this is perfect. This is exactly what the Bengals needed uh, to really start to build around Joe Burrow. I think Panay is going to be a fantastic tackle in the NFL for a long time. Uh, this is a pretty easy pick for me. Bengals will take Panay Sewell at number five. The Dolphins at number six will take Devonta Smith, wide receiver from Alabama. Now, a lot of people have Jamar Chase over Devonta Smith in their draft stock or their, their mock drafts. And it's not that I think Devonta Smith is a better receiver than Jamar Chase. To be completely truthful with you, I think Jamar Chase is going to have a better career than Devonta Smith will have. It's more so the fact that when it comes to the fit of what the Dolphins are looking for, if Kyle Pitts is going to go to the Falcons at number four, that's just the way that it is. They're going to take a wide receiver. If Kyle Pitts falls to the Dolphins, I imagine that they'll take Kyle Pitts, but I think that Kyle Pitts will be gone at four, so that leads the Dolphins drafting Smith at six, and Smith over Chase because Smith is going to fill more of the void that the Dolphins need. They need that number one wide receiver, but they need a route runner, a really good situational third down guy to say, this guy is the guy that's going to get the ball at third down. And Jamar Chase is a taller, more built receiver, but the Dolphins already have Devontae Parker, who is one of the best in the league in contested catches. They already have that physical contested catch type, con- excuse me, contested catches type guy in Devontae Parker. And I think with the loss of Jakeem Grant, and I'm not quite sure if Albert Wilson has left the Dolphins as well. They need that guy who can line up in the slot and line out a line line up out wide and continue to be that solid route runner. I think Devontae Smith, not only is he going to have that chemistry with Tua already, which don't undervalue chemistry. I think that's that's the enough that's going to be enough of a reason for the Dolphins to take Devonta Smith over Jamar Chase, which Jamar Chase will fall to the Lions at number seven, where the Lions will take Jamar Chase at number seven, wide receiver out of LSU. The Lions lost both. Actually, they lost three of their best receivers this offseason. They lost Marvin Jones Jr. They lost Kenny Galladay. They lost Mohamed Sanu. They are going to need a new number one wideout. Jamar Chase is going to fit that bill right away. Give somebody Jared Goff to throw to. I think that's an easy selection for me. Wide receiver uh, out of LSU. Lions are going to take Jamar Chase. Panthers at number eight. The Panthers were one of the teams that were going to be in conversation for a quarterback and are going to be continue to be one of the teams in a conversation for a quarterback even after they traded for Sam Darnold. But I think the fact that they traded for Darnold means that they're going to continue to try and work with Darnold and work with Teddy Bridgewater. 
I think the odds that they're taking a quarterback is lower than a lot of other people do. I think they're going to take Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. Micah Parsons is probably the best linebacker in this draft, in my opinion. And along with Brian Burns, who had a near Pro Bowl season last season, and a couple of free agent additions to the Panthers linebacker core, if you can have that number one dominant linebacker, I think that will definitely help improve the Panthers' defense. Micah Parsons going to the Panthers at number eight. Broncos at number nine. Again, another team that if a quarterback drops to them could potentially take a flyer on a quarterback, either Trey Lance or Mac Jones at this point in my mock draft. But I think they will opt to draft a tackle, and I think that they will opt to draft Rayshon Slater tackle out of Northwestern. I think Rayshon Slater, apart from Panay Sewell, is the best tackle prospect in this draft. He can play multiple positions. He can play guard. He can play center. He can play tackle. Pretty much wherever... The Broncos need him to play. He will be able to play a gigantic part. Rayshon Slater to the Broncos at number nine. Cowboys at number 10. Patrick Sertan, the second out of Alabama or the best pick available. That is a defensive prospect. There could be J.C. Horn going in the slot. There could be Caleb Farley going in the slot. But I think Patrick Sertan is probably the best cornerback available for what the Cowboys try to do on defense. With Brad, uh, with Dan Quinn, who's going to be the new defensive coordinator, he likes longer, lengthier cornerbacks. I think Patrick Sertan fits the bill quite well. Well, that's a pretty easy selection for me at well. Cowboys at number 10, taking Patrick Sertan the second. The Giants at number 11th are going to be taking an offensive tackle. They will take Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. The Giants basically went all in on the offense this offseason in the free agency. They went after Kyle Rudolph. They got Kyle Rudolph. They got Kenny Galladay. They got some more weapons for Daniel Jones to try and have the best season that he's had yet. This is the best opportunity for Daniel Jones to really succeed as a New York Giants. You're going to get Barkley back. You're going to add uh, Kenny Galladay. You're going to add Kyle Rudolph. But the offensive line is still shaky at best. You need that solid tackle at left tackle to protect Daniel Jones. Elijah Fair Tucker is probably one of the best left tackles in the draft. This is an easy selection for me as well. You can probably tell that I am drafting a lot of position players. I draft for need, not necessarily for best available. So that with that being said, the Eagles at number 12, this is the first selection in which I can generally say take the best player available. Take the best player available if that's Jalen Waddell, who I have being the alternate selection. The Eagles definitely need a wide receiver. Jalen Rager, he got hurt his first year, but he wasn't really impressive. The Eagles need somebody for Jalen Hurts to throw to. I think Jalen Waddle would be an excellent target at that, and it's probably a surefire bet. Some people think that he's actually better than Jamar Chase and uh, Devonta Smith, so Jalen Waddle could be a steal at number 12. It could be the first wide receiver prospect that Howie Roseman actually hits on in Philadelphia for the most part. Um... Eagles need pretty much help across the board, which is why I say or the best player available. That's up for the Eagles to decide. But if Jalen Waddell is there, don't be surprised if he goes to the Eagles at number 12. Charger, Chargers at number 13, Caleb Farley, cornerback. The Chargers need a tackle, but I wasn't comfortable with having the Chargers draft a tackle in the first round because they also need some cornerback help. Um, it's very... Very possible that the Chargers either trade back to a separate pick to land somebody like Christian Derisaw, who I have going to the Vikings at number 14. Um, but I think the Chargers at 13 are probably going to take a flyer on Caleb Farley. Again, another lengthy cornerback kind of fits the scheme 
in San Diego, not San Diego, Los Angeles. Uh, Chargers drafting Caleb Farley at number 13 overall. Vikings, as I already said, I kind of spoiled a little bit, taking Christian uh, Darisaw tackle out of Virginia Tech. The Vikings let go of one of their tackles this offseason, and Kirk Cousins was one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the NFL last season. Not A pretty big no-brainer here. Uh, Vikings taking a tackle or some offensive lineman. Whatever the best offensive lineman available is, honestly, on their draft board. I think that's probably Christian Derrissaw at number 14. The Patriots. The Patriots at number 15, and this is probably one that's going to ruffle a few feathers. I think the Patriots trade back to Chicago, move down to 20, and the Bears will select Trey Lance as quarterback from North Dakota State University at the number 15 draft selection. A lot of people are saying the Patriots to trade up for a top five quarterback. As you can see by my mock draft, I have, after the first three quarterbacks, a lot of teams passing on that quarterback, and there's going to be a big gap before or between quarterback selections. And truthfully speaking, it's not in Bill Belichick's character to trade up for a quarterback. It's just not, and I have a hard time saying that. Bill, seeing the fact that Bill Pelichick would trade up for a quarterback from the number 15 slot. I think it's even a more real possibility that Bill Belichick takes advantage of a team like Chicago in with Ryan Pace as a general manager who has failed repeatedly, just failure after failure after failure, to get that starting quarterback. I think it's very possible that Bill Belichick takes advantage of a panicking and desperate Chicago Bears team that's in need of a franchise quarterback, even with Andy Dalton there. Very possible that Chicago shells out to move up in the draft to get a quarterback again, and I think that the Patriots at number 15 are a good spot to do that because they don't necessarily need a quarterback just yet. They could draft one, but I think Bill Belichick is more likely to trade back and get a quarterback day two or three than trade up to get a top five quarterback in the draft. I think it's more likely that they take advantage of Ryan Pace in Chicago, get him while he's panicking, get him while he's trying to save his job. They're going to move up and get a quarterback. So Chicago trades up with the Patriots to take the 15th draft selection and they draft Trey Lance, North Dakota State University. And then the Cardinals with the last pick in this part one, of the uh, hard-headed sports mock draft. The Cardinals will take J.C. Horn, quarterback out of South Carolina. Look, the Cardinals lost Patrick Peterson this offseason, and they did get somebody to replace him. I can't quite remember the name, but I think you still need that number one to replace Patrick Peterson. J.C. Horn has tremendous upside coming out of South Carolina. I like the Cardinals taking J.C. Horn in that number 16 draft slot. And that is part one of the first round of the hard-headed sports mock draft. How did I do? How does that line up with your mock draft? Let me know. Let me know if I missed a spot or you think that some of the quarterbacks are going to be going a lot higher than I have them going. But that's the end of the show. It is tremendously hot in my room. I'm getting extremely tired. Let's end the show there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube, which the VOD of the podcast will be up on YouTube any moment now. Thank you so much for your continuous support. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Nick Ryan. You are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 37. And with that being said, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.